So I had a very silly daydream this week. I'm a daydreamer. It happens all the time. I was driving on the highway in my car, just kind of zoning out, and this thought popped into my mind. I wonder where Jesus would go to church. And if I were a normal person, I probably would have shook it off, started paying attention to the road so that I wouldn't crash and die. But, of course, I'm me, so I took it further. Imagine Jesus called me. He's like, hey, Danny, I'm going to come to Boston this weekend. I'm excited for you to show me around. And so, well, he said weekend, so we have to go to church, right? It's Jesus. He's visiting. Um, this is an actual thought, that I, a conversation I have with myself. And I think, where would I bring him to church? It would be Cornerstone, right? But would it be? I feel like I need to answer some questions first to make sure that Jesus is really comfortable. So I'd ask questions like, uh, Jesus, what, are, what kind of praise music do you like? Are, are we talking like organ and psalms only or electric guitar solos okay? Or, you know, gospel music? Are we talking Kirk Franklin or Matt Redman? Uh, what are you into? What about the preaching? Jesus, is 20 minutes too short? Is 45 minutes too long? Topical, expositional? Jesus, do you require child care? No, of course he doesn't require child care. Uh, what about um, pre-service donuts and coffee? Jesus, do you drink caffeine? Does he need caffeine? Has he ever had caffeine before? What if it's not free trade? Now, this, this is all the things that are going through my mind. And I wonder if you all would ask the same questions. You're probably thinking that you wouldn't. You're like, dude, this guy's a weirdo um, who thinks like this. But you probably would ask similar questions, right? Because they're probably, they're likely the questions you asked when you chose which church that you would actually commit to and attend. But I wonder, in fact, if all these questions we ask ourselves in judging our churches and where we would go to, whether Jesus would care about any of these things at all. So when we take a step back, I think all of us would agree that all these differences in the diversity in churches, they have their time and place and they make sense. Different styles of music, different philosophies around preaching, uh, different locations and target audiences and sizes and denominations and all the diversity that the church has around the world. They have their time and their place and they're valid in their own ways. So at the core, I think we really have to ask a foundational question underneath it all. The first question I think I need to ask and I would have to figure out an answer clearly is, does that church love Jesus? As simple as that. I have a feeling that if I were on the phone actually talking to Jesus about this, he'd be like, dude, I don't care. Like, I like all kinds of music. I created it all. It's all good to me. I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is, is this church that you're going to bring me to, do the people there love me? Do they really love me? This is what I want to talk about today, loving Jesus. I know it sounds elementary, but it's, I think it's important. How do we actually love him? Do we love him? What about this church, Cornerstone, you and me? Are we actually loving Jesus well today in our congregation? So today, it's Palm Sunday. It's kind of crazy, right? Next week, as Pastor Linda just mentioned in the announcements, is Easter. In this whole Lenten season leading up to now, over a month, we've been talking week by week in this series called The Savior No One Wanted. And basically what this series is about is how a lot of people during Jesus' time misunderstood who he truly was and how we have the ability to do that too, even 2,000 years later. And so we've been looking at the Bible, examining Scripture to see what it teaches us about who Jesus truly is, what He's about. 
because sometimes we can misunderstand that as well. We can miss the mark. And so today, I want to look at scripture to teach us what, who is Jesus, how does he actually receive love, and how is it that we, as a people of God, actually love him. And so for that, we're going to turn to Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. So let's read this together. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer the Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these, least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today's sermon is going to be as straightforward as possibly can be because we have a direct answer right here from Matthew 25 from Jesus's mouth himself. So I introduced the main question earlier. What does it mean to love Jesus? Are we loving him? How do we in fact love Jesus? And it's right here. So the point of today's message is this and this alone. Loving the needy is loving Jesus. Loving the needy is loving Jesus. So in this passage, We find ourselves in the end times. It's judgment day. Jesus is seated on his glorious throne. He will separate the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The sheep on his right, they're welcomed, embraced into the kingdom. The goats on his left are punished. And he makes it clear what it is that's going to separate these two groups. What separates eternal glory from eternal punishment, it's not how many Sunday services they went to or what their retreat participation looked like. It has nothing to do with whether they were a small group leader or not, or how many small groups they skipped out on. It comes down to how they did or did not care for those in need. So Jesus welcomes the sheep on his right, and he says, it's because they took care of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, and the prisoner, and they get confused. 
like, Jesus, wait, wait. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they were glad to be welcomed and to be blessed in this way, but they're like, wait, Jesus, when did we ever do this for you? And his response in verse 40 is absolutely incredible. If I've lost you, maybe you're getting distracted by your kids or you're on your phone, you're texting. If you're going to listen to even one minute of this entire sermon, I want to ask that you pay attention to me very closely right now because I believe that this specific verse in Scripture is absolutely critical to our understanding Jesus, critical to whether we get whether, like how to love Him, and dare I even argue, critical to whether we understand our faith, Christianity. I cannot emphasize or impress this upon us enough. How critical Matthew 25, 40 is for us as disciples. Let's read this together. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Loving the needy is loving Jesus. The king Savior, the seated on the throne, God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself sees the needy and the broken as his own family. He calls them brothers and sisters of mine. He relates to them so much so that our treatment of them has eternal, eternal significance for our lives. That's incredible. We've been talking for over a month now that Jesus was not what people expected. And here he lays down a radical statement in, 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 in associating, relating, saying they are me, I am them. Not with the high and lofty. People of Israel expected Jesus, the Savior, to be powerful and rich, famous, glorious. Instead, he says, no, I'm with the broken people. He says, what we do or do not do for suffering broken people matters for all of eternity. Loving the needy, is loving Jesus. And the mirror, the opposite is also true. Not loving the needy means not loving Jesus. And this is consistent throughout all scripture. God makes it clear from the beginning that those who are a part of his kingdom are to take care of the poor. And look how uh, explicitly Proverbs repeats this same exact message from Proverbs 14, verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor look at this, shows contempt for their maker, for God. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. See, loving the needy is loving Jesus and not loving the needy is not loving Jesus. And scripture cannot make this more clear. What we do or do not do for the poor is what we are doing or not doing for their maker, Jesus Christ himself. So I'd like to share with you all something that I learned about loving and not loving uh, through the example of my marriage. So Inji and I, we've been married for just under eight years now. And when we got married, we knew that there would be the tremendous blessings of marriage. So great. But then there's also the tremendous difficulties of marriage. Not so great. Sometimes difficult and hard. And so when I got married, I totally, you know, was expecting the hard parts were going to come too. And, um... You know, I kind of thought that it would be one of the classics. Like, uh, they say, you know, one of the hardest parts of marriage is getting used to living with each other because everybody has like weird quirks. Everybody has annoying living habits. Uh, you're probably seated next to people right now that you think they have annoying <laughs> living habits. And you just got to get used to each other, and that's a part of marriage. Or um, family dynamics. 
blending families, whose family are we going to spend Christmas with and that kind of stuff, or even money, you know, all these classics. And I thought they would be kind of the big, big difficulties for us in our marriage. But turns out it wasn't those things. It's actually the hardest part, at least in my opinion, is has been learning how to love. And that sounds a little weird, right? Because, well, weren't you in love when you got married? Yeah, but let me explain what I mean by that. So for me, the top way that I express love is through acts of service. So God has wired me in a way that I'm not so great at um, showing love with with words and with with my uh, with my language, but God has wired me to be really good at showing love by what I do instead of what I say. So working really hard so that other people's lives can be easier, doing favors, going out of the way, doing things in the background, um, putting hard labor on me so that someone else won't have to do it and they can be comfortable. But this is unfortunately not at all how Inji receives love. And so, for example, in the early years of our marriage. One thing I would do often is when her car would get really dirty, I would just sneak outside and clean it up. I would get my shop vac, my armor all, microfiber cloths, little triangle or tree air freshener guy, and I would go through the entire thing. I would use Q-tips in the little crevices and make it smell really great. It was better than an auto detailing company. And I would say, hey, Inji, let me, let me show you something outside. Like, come over here. And I'm getting ready for her to, you know, be so grateful and, and be like, oh, you're the best husband in the world. And so I'd bring her out, be like, ta-da. And she would kind of like peer inside. Okay, thanks. And just walk away. And so, of course, I would be so hurt. I would be so, so hurt. How could you not be more grateful for this? You know, I'd, you know, pout, do my little, you know, 30-year-old childish thing. And we'd get into arguments. And I'd get so offended that how she couldn't receive my gesture as so loving. How dare you? So over the years, I've learned this very, very critical lesson. And this is important for all of us. So let's pay attention right now. I've had to learn it is not, it is not Unji's job to conform to how I want to love her or even how I most naturally want to love her. If I truly want to cherish her authentically from my heart, it is my job. It's my job to learn, to act, to listen. What she, how she teaches me and communicates to me is the best way to love her. That's on me to listen to how she says so she feels most valued as a wife and for me as a husband to listen to that and then to act in that way. And this is not just a marriage thing, right? Like this is every relationship, friendships, roommates, siblings, parents, cousins, whatever, boyfriend, girlfriend, every relationship, it's our job to hear from the recipient, hey, how can I best love you? So what about the way that we love Jesus? I feel like we so often resort to loving Jesus the way that we want to or the way that we think is best. So I feel like we've turned church attendance into that. Oh, I love Jesus by showing up on Sundays right on time or maybe rule following, like I try not to curse or lie or cheat or steal. And it's, it's kind of the way that we've expected that Jesus will feel loved the most. All the while, we can go a lot of time just not doing exactly what he said is the way to love him. We give ourselves good grades and a pat on the back in, in Christianity 101, while we contend to disregard that Jesus himself said, if you are not caring for the poor, you are ignoring me. 
And the interesting part is exactly what Pastor Linda preached last Sunday. Maybe some of you aren't with us, but Pastor Linda, pre- Linda preached on the Pharisees. And, and wouldn't the Pharisees have been remembered as the most God-loving people on earth if that were the case? If rule following, if law abidance, if that were loving Jesus, wouldn't they be our heroes, she taught us last week? Because if you think about it, if the Pharisees were here today, they would never miss a Sunday. They would never break a social taboo. You think they would ever skip a 242 meeting because they were tired after work? No way. They would be there first in the Zoom, in the Zoom waiting room. They would answer all the questions in small group. They would never get drunk or sleep around or curse or say any bad words. So if that's true, why did Jesus rebuke them so harshly? It's because they neglected the poor. See, church, we must not be disciples who, who give ourselves those good grades in Christianity because we succeed in the norms of church activity if all the while we don't care about those who are suffering in this world. And here's the, here's the scary thing that I, you know, it sends chills down my spine and I think we all need to be careful about. It is very possible, very, very, very possible for us to be excellent at church norms and still not be walking in step in the gospel and still not be loving Jesus. Listen to this excerpt from David Platt from his book, Radical. So what's the difference between someone who willfully indulges in sexual pleasures while ignoring the Bible on moral purity and someone who willfully indulges in the selfish pursuit of more and more material possessions while ignoring the Bible and caring for the poor. The difference is that one involves a social taboo in the church and the other involves the social norm in the church. This next part, uh, especially because of the time and season we're in, um, I think is going to hit us very, very closely at home. We look back on slave-owning churchgoers of 150 years ago and ask, how could they have treated their fellow human beings that way? I wonder if followers of Christ 150 years from now will look back at Christians in America today and ask, how could they live in such big houses? How could they drive such nice cars and wear such nice clothes? How could they live in such affluence while thousands of children were dying because they didn't have food and water? How could they go on with their lives as though the billions of poor didn't even exist? What I would follow that up with is, how could we sing so often about our love for Jesus and yet have this major blind spot and how he himself told us was how we love him? See, loving the needy is loving Jesus, Cornerstone. Let us be a church that loves the needy because that means we love him. It's an expression of our love for our Savior. Let's be a generous church, meeting the needs of the suffering world, rooted and grounded in our love for the Savior, for the one that we're singing about, for the reason why we show up on Sundays and do this walk of faith. And you may be wondering why. Why why should I love Jesus? Why should I care about poor people, the needy in this way? And the reason is simple. It's because that's what he did for you. 
That's what he did for me. We were the needy ones. Let's not forget we were desperately poor, dead in our sins, spiritually bankrupt, lost, and dead in our transgressions. We were the ones in need of grace and of help, and Jesus Christ came to our rescue. He found us in our place of need, and he lifted us up out of that pit. That is you, your story and mine. We were the needy ones that Jesus came and he lifted us up. He rescued us from our need. And Paul teaches us this directly in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, we have this life because Jesus in his grace became poor for our sake. He gave up everything to the point of suffering on the cross and giving up his life to death on the cross. He bore the wrath of God for our sins, the punishment that you and me, the only we deserve, Jesus took that upon himself. He defeated death, rising again from the tomb on Easter Sunday. And because of grace, because of this salvation, because of this meeting the needy people where they're at, you and I are the recipients, the beneficiaries of Jesus' victory. Because of Jesus, we are rewarded with the riches of heaven. This is the gospel that we receive. And this is the gospel that you and I are called to give. We have been those poor people in need. And Jesus has given, made us rich through his death and through his sacrifice. And now it is our turn. If we say, I am a disciple, a follower of Jesus, it's our turn to live this out in the world. This is why we love Jesus, by loving the needy. We love because he first loved us in this way. So Cornerstone, for application, I don't want to tell us to wait. I want to do this right now. Exactly in the way that Jesus told us to love him, that's how I want to love him right now. This is a worship service, right? Sunday worship service, Cornerstone Sunday worship service. Join us for worship. Let's prepare our hearts for worship. Let's sing worship. Let's get ready for worship. We're worshiping, right? At least I assume that's why you came here to worship. So I want to invite all of us together right now to worship by more than singing and listening. I want to worship together as a church in a Matthew 25, 40 way. So I want us to generously donate the money that God has given us to steward so that those who are suffering right now can be filled, can be taken care of, can be loved by the people of God, the disciples of Jesus Christ, by godly women, men, boys, and girls, to powerfully love Jesus together in this moment. So what I've done is this week I started a charity water campaign. I named the Cornerstone Church of Boston, Matthew 25, 40. And I'd like for us to actually participate together right now in service. Many of you are already familiar with the, with the organization, so you don't really need much of an introduction. But for those of you who aren't, their goal is very simple. To ensure that no human being on this planet is without access to clean and safe water. That this is an unfair, unjust world if that is actually a thing. All of us have known nothing but a life of being able to take showers. We drink as much water and clean water as we want. I don't think you and I have ever worried about what we would drink, what we would cook with, how we would bathe or brush our teeth. We even swim in pools. We swim in hot tubs. 
But millions of people around the world do not know how long they will survive because of dirty water. Children regularly do not make it to adolescence because of dirty water. But this organization, Charity Water, they give 100% of your donation directly to the projects, and they also give updates as well as GPS coordinates so that you know exactly where your money went. And these faces and people, these precious uh, boys and girls, women and men of God who it'll benefit. So I've set the goal to $10,000. And at first, I thought, ugh, like I'm a little crazy and maybe some of you hear that number and you think I'm a little crazy too like you think in one service we could reach 10 grand well I don't know maybe we will maybe we won't but just doing the rough math we have pretty safe to say 200 plus people watching our Sunday streams every week uh, at least our view count on YouTube goes over 300 and so I'll safely assume that we have 200 minimum people that tune in. This means that we need just an average average of $50 per person at our minimum level. Some people will give much less because of their means, and some people will give much more because of their needs. But I believe that as a church in America, that we who are privileged and blessed beyond what we deserve, that we can band together as the church and love the needy not just because it's the right thing to do or because charity is good, but because we love Jesus so much. Because he said, when you do this for them, you're doing it for me. So in a minute, I'm going to put up a link and slide and I'm going to be silent. I'm going to mute my microphone. I'm going to walk off screen and just give everybody time if you feel compelled and convicted to do so. But before we get to that point, I just have one final request. I want to ask that if you give, if you choose to, to please give out of an abundance. Give out of an abundance of your love for Jesus Christ, not out of guilt. Give abundantly, joyfully, cheerfully. See, I was thinking the other day, if I had guests over for dinner, friends or um, anybody, just guests, I would never go through the fridge and like look for the leftovers or the thing that's kind of on the line of going old and serve that to anybody. If it were one of your birthdays uh, and I wanted to buy you a gift, I don't think I would go to my basement and just like get something dusty that's just been in storage and be like, hey, happy birthday. Or if I were to write you a card, I don't think I would go to my recycling bin and pick out like an Amazon, Amazon box and be like, dear friend, I love you. And yeah, I think I would go to the Wegmans, get really good ingredients, cook you a nice dinner, buy you a gift that meets you where you're at, knowing what you enjoy and what you've been needing, write you a hand, or find a card, handpick it, that I think that would make you smile. See, I wouldn't give you scraps or leftovers. I don't think we would do that for each other. But I think that's oftentimes what we kind of fall into when we give to the poor. It's maybe what we have left over. But remember, this is what we're giving to Jesus, our leftovers. So if you do feel compelled to give, I want to ask you that in your heart, you not give what's left over, but you give abundantly and cheerfully. As we give, church, let's give out of an abundance because this is how we want to love and honor Jesus. So this is a worship service, right? If you feel compelled and convicted to do so, 
Cornerstone, loving the needy is loving Jesus. Let's help him love him together right now. I'm going to just give you all time and we're going to put the link up on the screen. So I'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you, church. See, Cornerstone, this is our Savior, Jesus. The Savior many did not expect or want, but the Savior that all the world has been waiting for, groaning for, and has desperately needed. How glorious and good and, I hope, sweet to our souls like honey is to our lips is the fact that we have a Savior, a King, seated on His throne, who does not associate with the mighty and the powerful, but who says, the poor, the needy, the broken, the suffering, they are my family who I love. And how glorious and awesome an opportunity for us as the people of God to display how great and beautiful and glorious Jesus is by the way we love those who are in need. Cornerstone, loving the needy is loving Jesus. Let us be that worshipful, generous, loving church by loving those who are suffering. So let us celebrate together as we respond with a couple songs now, how through his poverty, you and I, we have been made so, so rich. Let us challenge ourselves to love because he has first loved us in this way. And let's be a church that is a home, a, a tabernacle, a temple for the presence of God, of people, men and women who are filled to the brim with our hearts and loving him and loving him in this way for all of our days. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we want to love you more. We want our hearts to be open to your word and for your scriptures to fill us and teach us of how we can love you more, how we can make our lives on this earth count, how we can bring you the highest praise, the greatest glory, the greatest honor. We want our lives to mean so much more than our jobs, our careers, our hobbies, our possessions. We want our lives to be filled with meaning primarily through how greatly we loved you and we love this about you. We love that you, you command your church to care for the suffering. You said even in the Old, Test, Old Testament that there should be no poor among you. And we want to be the people of God who follows this with all of our hearts and souls. Lord, rec, rem, uh, remind us, uh, help us to recognize our place of need and how you came to rescue us from that place and how you have made us rich in you. And so, Lord, now use us as your instruments. We want to be your soldiers in this world, carrying the light of Jesus, alleviating suffering, giving hope to those who are hopeless, bringing light to dark places, taking the lost and, provide, and, and giving them a home. Father, use Cornerstone Church in this way. We celebrate you. We love you. We pray that you would be so cherished. We know that you are with us here. And as you, as you are present here with us in our living rooms, in our homes, Jesus, I pray that you would feel so loved by Cornerstone. I joked earlier about where we would want to take you to church, but I pray that all of us would be so uh, uh, aware of your presence with us every Sunday and that this would be a place where you know and you feel so loved because of the way that we choose to love you. So thank you for your holy word. Thank you for your goodness to us. 
and take whatever offering that we can give to you, Lord God, and multiply it. And we pray that we would decrease, our names would be erased from any record. And then anybody who receives a blessing because of these dollars that we send, that they would give praise to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit alone. Cornerstone does not take any credit, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you alone. Be all glory, honor, and praise. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.